to us this morning on the fact that when God's, when good plans are replaced by better plans, of course all of us plan, don't we? But our plans don't always work out the way we'd like. Sometimes there are detours, sometimes there's adjustments. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, while you're uh, turning to Luke, the first chapter, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to stand behind this sacred desk and declare the eternal word of God. Ask, Lord, that you would anoint us with your Holy Spirit as we speak, that before it reaches the ears of, and the minds and hearts of the listeners, that you'll have your say in what we should be saying to the people. Just guide us, we pray. May all things work to your glory and honor. You know the prayer requests that came up that we talked about. And we're thankful for the touches you put on different individuals through the week. We ask, Lord, that you'd just continue to bless in that area. Give us, Father, what we need to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read out of Luke, the first chapter, starting in verse 26 and read down through verse 38. Um, it's very familiar, especially this time of year. I know one year, uh, it's been a few years back, that we had five Sundays in December. And also on Thursday night, the rotation rolled around that I had to speak like three times then. So I made up my mind early in December, I'd just preach in Matthew and Luke's gospel. There's a couple chapters in each one of them, and they're exclusively, if you would, uh, around the birth of Christ. So I preached on every verse in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. So um, I got through all of that, even all the begets and the begats. We got through all of that in that time. So for me to speak on anything uh, around the first two chapters of Luke or Matthew is basically a repeat. And of course, every year, most of the things around the Christmas season come out of those four chapters of those two Gospels. So let's uh, just enjoy what God has for us and hopefully he'll inspire us to do what he wants us to have us to do. Amen? So in Luke 1, 26, and it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin and spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in to her, unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, hit, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which, sh which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be 
impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So here we have the account, if you would, of Mary's first encounter or understanding about her future plans and being the mother of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In verse 26, it says in the sixth month. Now, we have to understand kind of the background there. If you'd have read along with me in the first part of this particular chapter, her cousin Elizabeth was well up in years. She was married to a priest. His name was Zacharias. And they had no children in the culture and in times in which Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary lived to go without children was kind of, not I wouldn't say a curse, but it was not really looked down to with approval because they felt like the women that when they get married, one of the things they should do is bear children uh, and uh, prolong, if you would, the family name. I don't know what all is involved in that. Different cultures have different uh, understanding of what all that's going to be. Uh, but I know uh, even with uh, uh, Nidu and Begin in the what you'd call the traditional wedding from India, uh, the arranged marriage thing seems to be working out okay, don't it, Nidu? Amen. So I'm glad for that. You know, I wish uh, my mom and dad would have had more say in some of what I did in my life, uh, even marriage. But, you know, we learn from mistakes sometimes too. But nonetheless, what? What marriage? <laughs> Who's married? All right. Anyway, he's talking here in the sixth month is a reference to the fact that God has already visited Zacharias and Elizabeth and blessed, if you would, or however you want to say, as she became pregnant with a son. So we're going to look at that just a little bit. We find that reference of six months. Again, she's talking, again, talks about it in verse number 36 of what we read. It said that she hath conceived in her old age, and this is her sixth month. So that's why he introduces himself in the sixth month in verse 26. It's the same time period, and it's all fitting in God's time period. That's what's important. All right, Elizabeth had a son named John. That became what we know as John the Baptist. All right, that's Mary's cousin. And so when he was born, he was six months older than Jesus. How about that stuff? Isn't that cool? So God has a way of moving uh, time and people to get his accomplishments taken care of. I wonder if Zacharias was even planning to have a reveal party. Because the angel said here in verse 36, she's conceived a son. Huh. Well, I wonder if she had a sonogram. No. When you're dealing with God, God can answer all those questions way ahead of time. Amen? They didn't need a sonogram. They didn't need a reveal party. The angel revealed it to everybody. They're going to have a son. Well, he's done the same with Mary, and we'll get into that just a little bit later on. But based on God's promises, uh, he gave the angel in verse number 13, the angel not only revealed the gender, but he told what that child's name was going to be. Now, that's pretty cool. No, we don't know if Mary had information about her cousin's surprise prior to this or not. 
I don't know if, if Elizabeth had sent out uh, any kind of invitations for a, a baby shower. I don't know if the, it was posted in the church bulletin or not that uh, she was pregnant. I don't know what they did as far as getting the news out or even if Mary even knew that her cousin Elizabeth was six months along in her pregnancy. But here we do know that she was told this by the angel Gabriel and that he did, if you would, he just let the cat out of the bag and let everybody know how God was working at that time in that situation. The one thing that was a, a surprise about this six-month pregnancy was Elizabeth's age. The scripture says she was well up in years. Amen. So, Robin, you're okay. I know you're worried about your cataract at your age, but don't worry about it. Age has nothing to do with it when God's got his hand on it. Amen? So now in her sixth month, some good plans that Elizabeth and Zacharias may have been putting forth were going to have to be put aside to make room for better plans. You see, they may have been planning on retiring. They were well up in age. Amen. How many of you got retirement plans? Oh, yeah. Based on their age, based on our age, we're all looking forward to retirement, aren't we? Well, the second thing they might have had, they may have had a bucket list. You know, you know I was 20 years old, I, I couldn't even carry a bucket, let alone have a bucket list. But now as I get older, there's a few things that Bonnie and I have talked about. Maybe we ought to try to cover uh, while we've still got life and, and to see on this earth, you know. Instead of traveling the world now and going to see the things they had never been able to see before, they've got new plans. They're going to include dirty diapers and midnight and early morning feedings. Why? A new child's going to be in the family. Nonetheless, the excitement of new family members is going to drastically put new plans in place for that family. Amen? But 90 miles north of there, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel is sent to a specific country, Galilee, to a specific city, Nazareth, to a specific virgin, Mary, who was of a specific heritage, the house of David, with a single specific message, a future pregnancy, who was to be married to a specific man, Joseph. You see, when God operates, it's pretty much on track what he wants to accomplish. He has it all lined out the way it should be. Amen? It shouldn't have been any surprise that God was calling someone to do a work for him. How specific that calling can be in that person's life, though, can take on many challenges. No doubt, with all the things that come with girls planning a wedding, Mary was probably making a lot of good plans. Amen. We know about that, don't we, Carly? You got to send out the invitation. You got to get a special dress. You got to put together the wedding party. Who's going to be the bridesmaid? Maid of honor. Man, that's a lot of planning to do. Then you got to find out what flowers you want. 
Then you got to find out who's going to bake the cake. Then you got to plan the meal for all those that you invite. And then, even if that's not enough, you got to plan a honeymoon. Hawaii's a pretty good place to go. Amen. With all those places on the mind of Mary, who's espoused to a guy named Joe, and they're all set to set up home, with all that on her mind, here comes Gabriel with an announcement that puts all of that stuff on the back burner. Amen. She had to set all that aside now that God's talked to her about being the mother of his baby. Isn't that something? Wow. And you know what the guy has to do when all that's going on? Sit there and shake his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, purple flowers, that's fine, yeah. White, yeah, green, yeah, nice dress, yeah, yeah. All that, she takes care of that, and he just nods and says, I agree, amen. Well, the angel makes this formal introduction in verse number 28, and if you would, the customary hail, that's our way of saying hello, it follows through with you're highly favored, amen. Now, if somebody wants to get your attention, the first thing they want to do is say, man, am I glad to see you. Have I got good news for you? That's what we'd say in the 21st century. But the angel, they used different language in the first century. He said, you're highly favored. Amen. Not just highly favored, but you're highly favored and the Lord is with thee. Hmm, that's a good idea to be on God's team. And then if you look behind where it says the Lord is with thee, there it is, colon. It means, and add to that, blessed art thou among women. Wow. You're a blessed woman, Mary, because you're highly favored with God. Amen. So here we go. Now what stands out in about the angelic visit to me is, number one, Mary's all alone. You know, she lived in Nazareth in the first century at that time when that was, that was a pretty busy city. It was right, not real close, but really close, kind of close to the Sea of Galilee where a lot of activity took place. They fished that thing year round, best they could. And you know why? They could set up a market around that Sea of Galilee when they caught the fish, bring them in and sell them to the, for food. Isn't that something? That's pretty good. If you got an income, you could do it. And that's where Jesus met some of his buds. Peter and James, John, Andrew, they were all fishermen. And they fished that sea. And their fathers had that business, which they were following in their father's footsteps, to be a fish salesman. I guess they, how you throw them big fish, you see them catch them. Yeah, that's what they did. So here we find Mary in this city that was... For their day and time, it was probably a pretty crowded city. Now, I realize they didn't have uh, social media to get the words out to everybody, and I realize they didn't have television or radio, but I tell you right now, in a city that size, if there was something going on, news travels fast. Amen. Especially bad news. Amen. So we know that when uh, uh, those things are going on, I woke up uh, yesterday morning, and Bonnie was telling me that a lot of people in Kentucky got killed. I had no idea. Yeah, I slept through it. 
you know. But now that we've got all this media outlet, we know about it, if you would, in a pretty much instantaneously when it takes place. But here's Mary all alone in Nazareth, a city with a lot of people in it, let alone the fact that a girl with so many plans to make for her wedding, why was she so, if you would, all alone at this particular time? Or at least not out on a date with Joe. Where was Joe at? I don't know. But when the angel came, it was just to Mary and just to speak to her and her only. And he says, you're highly favored. In other words, God thought Mary was pretty special. He's the one that he picked that should have something to do with the one that needed to do a job that he needed done. Evidently, I'm thinking nobody else was qualified or no one else was available or something that he would pick Mary, but Mary was the one that God saw fit to choose for this very important mission to deliver his only begotten son into the world. So when he found her, she was alone. He tells her he's highly favored. In verse 3, as uh, big as a chore as it was to start to comprehend, the angel adds to the fact that she's highly favored that the Lord's with thee. If you're ever called to a position that God says is highly favored, there's comfort in knowing the Lord's with you. There's a lot of jobs, if you would, I'll say jobs or things that God's will would encompass in a person's life that it's very comforting to know when God calls you to that position or to that calling or whatever it is, God's going to be with you. Amen. If he called me to lead the choir, I would have comfort in the fact that I could learn how to hear notes. Amen. I could learn how to sing a little better. I could learn how to do that. He didn't call me to lead a choir. Amen. He didn't call me to do any of those things that has anything to do with singing. As a matter of fact, I just put myself in those positions. But here we find if God ever calls you, he will make sure you have what you need to get through that because the Lord is with you. Amen? If he ever calls you to pastor, trust me, you'll need the Lord to be with you from time to time, if not all the time. And then the fourth thing he said was, Blessed art thou among women. Not only does God want to bless you above in this ministry, all the men in those days and time, women didn't really get out in public all that much. Men did everything in the temple and all the ministry work and, you know, when it came to priests and Sadducees and kings and all that stuff, they were all men. But now he's calling a woman to a, if you would, a higher position than any men and higher than any other woman. So this must be something big. Amen? So if God wants uh, a job for you to do, his blessing is going to be on that journey of your life to guide you in that particular job. Amen? So now, in Mary's mind, her good plans are going to be replaced with better plans. 
Amen? Man, good plans. Wedding, new life, new husband, new house, new a lot of things. Amen? That's the way it is. Amen? I, I, Rob said he was 64, and I told him in Sunday school, I had underwear that old. Now, I realize I'm not that old, but those underwear I got, they were used when I bought them, so it's okay. I just thought I'd throw that in, brother. Too much information? All right. Well, God has got a way of telling people, your plans are good plans, but the plans I have for you are better plans. Amen. They're longer-lasting plans. With those good plans on hold of her marriage and everything, verse 29 the scripture says, Mary was troubled at his sayings. Maybe a better word for that, and I know the, the uh, everyday says startled or nervous or surprised. There's other words that they use in there for troubled, but you get the point, don't you? It just shocked her that what this angel took the time to meet with her. Probably Mary was probably not somebody as uh, if you would, was always alone somewhere. I don't picture Mary that way. I picture Mary in my mind as being friendly, outgoing, always with the crowd, always with friends, always with family, always moving. Yeah, that's kind of the Mary I picture. And for her, the angel to find her alone seems to be something that would be out of the ordinary. So and I knew that when he if you would, by the scriptures, troubled her, she probably wondered about what he told her from this angel. After all, it's not every day an angel stops by and gives you a life-changing announcement. So in verse 30, the angel, trying to capture Mary's attention, as if he didn't already have it, says, Fear not. Fear not, Mary. Well, we noticed a lot of times when Jesus had been away from his disciples, especially after his resurrection, and he came back to them in the upper room and other places. What was the first thing he said? Fear not. Why? Because they didn't know who he was or where he was or what's going on, and they were already on, if you would, walking on pins and needles. And then he shows up. Well, he has to kind of settle their fears in that situation. Amen. Mary, there is nothing to be afraid of. Uh, so what we need to do is say, okay. And the angel talked with her and uh, said to her the unexpected uh, things that was going to come to pass wouldn't scare her either. The future you have before you, don't fear it. God's going to take care of it. So to calm her down about the excitement of this announcement, the angel repeats that calming word, uh, that he said to her earlier, you're highly favored of the Lord. Now, highly favored, again, means that God will give you the special grace in the future because of the unusual ministry he's calling you to. So if you're going to do an unusual ministry for God, you're going to need unusual grace to get through it. And when the angel said she was highly favored that he, she knew everything was going to work out as God intended it to work out. So now we get to verse 31. 
It says, Behold. Now that's an attention getting uh, word. Of course, you're going to see it down through here several times. Uh, when the angel speaks, he uses the word behold. It means listen or pay close attention. You too are going to conceive just like Elizabeth. Hmm. And it's going to be a son. Oh, good. Won't need a sonogram. Won't need a reveal party. That'll save us some money. And you're going to name him Jesus. Amen. Now, you say, well, why would he go through all the, if you would, foretelling of the name of this particular child? Well, in Elizabeth's case, he revealed to Zacharias who the son was, should, should be named. John, right? He revealed to that while he was doing his priestly duties in the temple. But Elizabeth didn't hear that. And guess what? The angel, because of John's, if you would, doubt of the whole thing, struck him to where he couldn't speak. So for the nine months she was pregnant, John couldn't add anything to it verbally. Couldn't tell her everything that the angel had said. Amen. Especially about the name. And when John the Baptist was born, they was going to name him Zacharias Jr. And about that time, God said, no, that's not what I told the angel to tell you in the temple. So God loosed his tongue and Zacharias could speak again and said, no, 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 his name will be John. Amen. Isn't that something? See, God gives you the grace to carry out the mission he puts you on. So then in verse number 32 and 33, the angel tells Mary that the son she's going to bring to full term, number one, he's going to be great. Now, don't we all wish that for our children? Amen. I know people that uh, when they're carrying their children, they have great plans for them. I knew a, a mother back in Jamestown that while she was pregnant, she took time every day to, um, what are those juice things they spit through and make notes, and sing to her baby, hoping that when the baby was born, he'd have a love for music. And daily, she took time to sing to the child. Now, he turned out to be a rascal. So I guess it don't work. But nonetheless, but history proved in this case, it was true. Did Jesus turn out great? All right, we're talking now. Verse, uh, the second thing, he'll be called the son of the highest. Has history proved that to be true? Oh, yeah. He's the only begotten son of God is what the word of God tells us. And three, he said, the Lord shall give him the throne of his father David. Well, what was the throne of his father David? It wasn't in Jerusalem, although he did spend some time there, usually just during the Passover week. But then he did go there, and that's where they, uh, if you would, uh, tried to dethrone him and, and uh, take away his authority. But God gave him the authority because the leaders of that generation refused to give him that authority. You see, the world may not even recognize who you are or what you're doing for God. But if God has anointed you to do a work, don't pay no attention to what they put on you. Just do what you do and do it for God. Amen? 
So all those kings, all those scribes, all those Pharisees and lawyers, priests, and even the high priest denounced him that he was of the house of David or he was of the house of, the scripture calls it, the house of Jacob. Who was Jacob? You know what God changed his name to? Israel. See, God even had a son that was over the house of Israel. Oh, how about that stuff? Pretty good, isn't it? And he said he would be over it forever. That means he's still over the house of Israel. Now, who is Israel? Well, Romans, the second chapter, says it's not the ones that are circumcised in the flesh. It's the ones that are circumcised in the heart. It's not the ones that say they're Christian. It's the ones that do the things that Christians do. It's the ones that does the will of God. And so he's still, if you would, over the house of Israel in the fact that anybody that gets saved is in Jesus' kingdom. And then he said, his kingdom shall not end. Amen. Even when we leave this world, we can take the kingdom with us. Isn't that cool? You don't even have to leave it behind when you die. Amen. You can take it right on in to eternity. Well, all that sounds good except for one thing. And Mary said in verse 34, I know not a man. That was her biggest stumbling block in the plans that they're trying to put together here uh, in getting these better plans to take the place of the plans she had. In other words, it's impossible for me to be pregnant without a relationship with a man. But 35, this planning pregnancy deal will not be of another man, is what the angel's telling her. It'll be of the Holy Spirit. It'll be what we know as an immaculate conception. And therefore, your first son will be called the Son of God, is what the angel told Mary. Now, we know she had other sons, but they were of Joseph. They weren't of God. Amen? The announcement must have shocked Mary to her core. So the angel added in verse 36 to tell her about the special child her cousin is pregnant with. We already talked about that a little bit. And rather than go into a long discourse with Mary about this miracle and all that's going to take place and how Elizabeth's miracle is happening, the angel just says uh, and makes an emphatic statement that forever is true in verse number 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. As many doubts as she had about being pregnant without the help of a man, so to speak, and all the doubts that came up with that, and all the impossibilities that she even considered, the angel cleared all them out when he said, with God, nothing's impossible. Amen? No matter what you go through, God will always be there to help you in all the situations that he has planned for you to walk in his ways. Remember that when... The task of that Holy Spirit is calling you to perform. God will see it to fruition. It will work out. Amen. The grace, uh, that His grace will never lead you to a place that His grace won't sustain you. 
You will finish that course if you listen and walk where the Holy Spirit wants you to go. And with that thought in mind, Mary just says, Amen to the will of God. That's it. It's over. I've decided your way's the best way. My plans are out the window. And all her good plans are going to be replaced with better plans. See, God always has a better way. Amen. I can tell you, as a Christian, I've worked at nine different places as a job. Isn't that something? I've had nine different jobs. And that's just since I've been a Christian let alone all the things I did prior to that, because I didn't even get saved till I was 25. Amen. By the time I got saved, I already had two kids and married, married twice. And that still didn't work. Nevertheless, God knew what he was doing. Amen. So God always has better plans. In verse 37, seemingly without hesitation, Mary says, Behold. That's just the same behold that we talked about in verse 31 and in verse 36. Here I am. Let's do the will of God and let's do it according to what the two witnesses, God's Word and God's Spirit, tells us to do it. If once you get that in your planning agenda, things will work out in your life. Once we've conceived, if you would, or convinced ourselves that we need to set aside our good plans, they were good ones, and replace them with better plans or God's plans, we have to take pleasure in knowing we're highly favored in the eyes of God. Amen? With that confirmation from Mary, the angel packs his bag and heads out. He leaves as quick as he came. Mary probably blinked her eyes and he was gone. Probably... Uh, that was the same way he appeared if you want to do it in a figurative speech. So as quick as he came, he was gone, and he left God's mes message with Mary. He's gone to let her now rearrange her good plans and replace them with better plans. To say Mary's plans were adjusted, in my mind, would be a drastic understatement. Remember, she's in the midst of wedding plans. What about her husband-to-be? What's she going to tell him? What's he going to think? What's going to happen when the truth comes out about this situation that God wants her to carry a child and name him Jesus so that God's work can be done amongst the people of God. Amen. I think she had some drastic planning changes to make. So, turn with me to Matthew, the first chapter. Let's see what happened on the other side of this marriage planning. I'll read you the whole account there from verse 18 to 25. I'm not going to talk about this as much because this is a, a little bit more simple. Number one, Joseph is not going to be pregnant. So you have to put that out of your mind now. But he's going to have to, if you would, walk through this nine months with Mary 
and be what God's called them both to be. It says in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now we don't know how far along she is at verse 18 and far, if you would, her pregnancy. But we do know because of Luke, the first chapter, that once the angel made that announcement to her, she left in the sixth month, went to Jerusalem or Judea where Elizabeth and Zacharias live, and she stayed there three months. So when she got back home, she was probably three months pregnant. Now, I don't know uh, how, how far along you got to be before things start changing or physically or showing or whatever you want to call it. But somehow or another, everybody knew the gig was up. Amen? Verse 19, Then Joseph, uh-oh, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away privately. You have to know the laws in that particular culture and that rulings, if you would, in an arranged marriage if they were found, even though they paid the, the prices, even though they'd made all the plans, even if that man taking that woman found her not to be fit, they had ways of he could say, um, I don't want her, I guess. And they called it put away. Um, it's not really a divorce because they never were, if you would, really married. But he could say, um, let's just put the marriage off. Let's just go a different way. In that case, the dowry that his parents paid to the other parents was probably returned, uh, and then they went into a different, if you would, uh, search for a wife or a husband back and forth for those uh, ones that were of the age to be married. So here we find that he was um, a just man. He didn't want to embarrass her. I mean, it's embarrassing enough for a young lady in that day and time to walk the streets pregnant knowing she's not been married yet. That's embarrassing. Amen. I remember when my high school, now that was back in 68. Now man, that's old, ain't it? I had a girl in our high school that if she had just kept her mouth shut, nobody would have ever known that she was pregnant until after she graduated. But in April, which we graduated in May, somehow the word got out. She probably told a friend or something she was pregnant. Of course, by looking at her, I couldn't tell. And uh, she was pregnant. And the, the stigma of that embarrassed her so much, she quit school. One month before graduation. All she had to do was go graduate and then let things carry out from there. Because it was important in our day and time in 68. It was important to graduate. Amen. It's hard enough to get a job with a, with a diploma in your hand, let alone if you didn't have one. Amen. All you qualified for then was clearing, cleaning up portalettes, and I wasn't interested in that. I wanted a job, a better job, so I wanted that diploma. Amen. And so did everybody in my class. Amen. And the reason I remember, we had 100 in our graduating class and ended up graduating with 99. Well, in those days and times, things were pretty much even more of the up and up. If you were pregnant prior to marriage, it was probably more of a stigma than it would have been in 1968. So Mary uh, came back probably from the three months in Judea, and, and uh, Joseph and her probably had to sit down and talk. And Joseph uh, probably thinking like any other man, 
thinking, hmm, maybe I'm not getting the bill of goods I should have gotten. Maybe I should put her away privately. I don't want to embarrass her. We'll just do it. Just make an arrangement with the parents or whatever. Pay back the dowries. Do whatever we got to do to make sure this is as far as it goes. So when he said that, verse 20, but, now we know that's a study word. That means things are going to change right now. But while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Of course, you can read about that in Isaiah prophecies. Then verse 24, Then Joseph, being raised from the sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and called his name Jesus. Well, in Joseph's mind, when he's got the news that Mary is uh, found with child of the Holy Ghost, I could probably say this right up front about the wedding plans. The girl does all that planning, but the guy has to agree to it, I guess. But in Joseph's case, the fact that Mary takes three months to visit her cousin and comes home three months pregnant probably has sown some doubt in Joseph's mind according to what knowledge we do have of the situation. Now, Joseph has some rearranging to do for himself. How am I going to put her away without anybody knowing, without embarrassing her, without causing a scene, how can we set this all aside, all these good plans? But in verse 19, Joseph's mind was spinning about the news of Mary's situation. And while he gave thought to that situation, while he looked it over and mulled it over in his mind about the woman he had made all these good plans with, about being with for the rest of his life. An angel appears to him in a dream in verse 20. Amen? Assures him, the Lord's in charge of this situation. This is not just some uh, fling that happened. This is not a mistake that happened or a lot of other things that people want to call pregnancies. But this is something that God had his thumb on from the very beginning. Now, I don't know if before Mary went to visit his, her cousin three months earlier, whether he said a word to Joseph except, I'm going to go see my cousin Elizabeth. I hear she's pregnant and going to need some help in her last three months because she's old and she's getting bigger and she probably can't tie her shoes any longer and she probably can't do all the housework she needs to do. I'm going to go help her until... She delivers this child, and then I'll be back in three months. He, she probably didn't even think, or she probably thought about it, but never thought it was a good idea to tell Joseph about the angel encounter that she had had. 
So in, uh, when all this is going on, but when the angel appears to him in a dream, he says, everything's going to be okay. This situation that Mary's in is about what the Lord wants done. So we think about it. And the society stigma of having a baby prior to the exchange of wedding vows for Mary may have brought some curious thoughts from those in the city. I think that another reason for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. Did you ever think about he was born in Bethlehem? That's a long trip on foot. I know the, they put up there that they rode camels and they rode donkeys. There's nothing in the Bible that says she rode a donkey anywhere. There's nothing in there she rode a camel. Probably that the young married couple like that probably couldn't even afford a donkey. A donkey was like a limousine nowadays. Amen. And it was a pretty fur piece to get there. And I know the, the scripture says they went there to pay the taxes that were being put out and, uh, by a Caesar Augustus. But I think in the back of God's mind, he planned for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem. He even prophesied that in the book of Malachi. Amen. Did you know that? And you know why? In my mind, I was thinking about that. Well, that long trip they're going to take from Nazareth to Bethlehem will be to get her out from under all that scrutiny of everybody in Nazareth that she's pregnant out of wedlock. Huh. And so while she's in Bethlehem, well, let's just have the baby there. Huh. When she comes back with the baby, well, Joseph and Mary will probably uh, already have said their vows one to another, and everything will be fine. The stigma from society, if you would, would be lifted, even though um, that baby was not Joseph's son. So for her to go to Bethlehem, that could have eased up the societal pressure and the gossip talk about the situation that Mary was uh, in to perform in bringing forth a child that was not her husband's child. Amen? Verse 24, Joseph wakes up. Cool. I think a lot of times when God's talking to people, a lot of times when God wants to get our attention, it's good that we wake up from the dream. Amen? And start to put the good plans on hold that we had and replace those plans with better plans. God's plans. History is still celebrating the adjustments that Mary and Joseph walked through to bring Jesus into this world. Because without their plan changes, we today would not know the benefit of having a son born named Jesus that in verse 18 was born to save his people from their sins. Not in their sins, from their sins. And he was the only one that was ever born, that ever lived, that could take our sins and deliver us from our sins. When we think about the good plans that we have in this world, maybe even what you might want to call your bucket list, and all the things you want to get accomplished, all the goals you have set for your life, then we realize that most of them are pretty much selfish. 
Yeah, one of the things I really would like to do, Bonnie and I have talked about it for decades. I'd like to go to Florida to watch one of them spaceships take off. I'd like to be close enough to hear it, feel it, see it. I wanted to, I just, I'm fascinated, I guess, by the power it would take to, however what's that thing weighs, to pick it up and throw it off a launching pad into outer space. That just kind of grabs my attention. I've always thought that'd be cool. But if I never see that, and make it to heaven or I've done the plans that God laid out for my life I'm satisfied in that that's kind of a selfish if you would thing for me we also wanted to go to uh, what is that place in South Dakota where the presidents are rocks yeah Hushmore we always wanted to go there but if I don't see them rock headed presidents I guess I'll be okay amen well, those are good plans, but God's got better plans. Amen? So I'd rather do it God's way. I don't think very many of our selfish plans will be as drastic as what Mary and Joseph had to go through when they changed their plans. But no matter how big or how small our adjustments need to be, we need to praise God and give Him the glory for everything He does to give us better plans than we would have had in place if we did things our particular way. Our plans don't really amount to a whole lot. Think about it. Most of our good plans here on earth are only good for this lifetime. But God has better plans for us and they're out of this world. He knows how to bless us and help us to be what he wants us to be for a whole lot longer time than the years we have to share on this earth. When we realize that heaven outweighs the devil's plans for eternity, we can quickly adjust and put our, if you, even if you want to call them good plans, on hold and replace them with the better plans God has for us throughout eternity. We need to make sure we do it God's way. That's all Mary and Joseph came to the final conclusion in this scenario that they were placed in. We want to do it God's way. My way's just not good enough sometimes. I know if you think everything was left up to me, it'd be all me, 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 and I, I, I. Sometimes I get tired of hearing people tell me about me, 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 and I, 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 and my, 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 and all that. I want to know, what are you doing for somebody else? Amen. What's God doing in your life? What's going on? What are you doing to be a better person for the kingdom of God? Well, when God puts those plans in your life, take out your good plans, replace them with God's plans, and walk to the glory of God. Amen. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Let us